Well, friends, happy Sunday. It's good to be with you, even if virtually, as we're returning in person. And wouldn't you know, just as I was ready to get my extrovert on and see all of you, uh, this week my daughter had a COVID exposure. Now, she's doing great, no symptoms. And according to the letter of the law, I, I don't need to quarantine along with her. But our approach as a church has been to err on the side of safety. And so even though I've had an exposure to an exposure, the last thing I'd want to do is be with you all on a Sunday and then Tuesday start feeling bad or something and, and then have to make a bunch of sad or hard phone calls. So uh, just to be as safe as possible, I've chosen to do this message via video and I'm still excited about it and I'm excited to uh, study God's word with you today. My name is Adam and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. I don't know anybody who has like a universally higher approval rating than Dolly Parton. An American treasure. She has championed the cause of literacy in her hometown. She has done so many more things than, than we have time to list for so many people, including fundraising for the coronavirus, funding research. Two weeks ago, the state legislature of Tennessee introduced a bill to build a statue of Dolly Parton uh, on Capitol grounds. And this will tell you most of what you need to know about Dolly. She politely declined. Like, I was born in Memphis, Missouri, and if someone called me and said, Adam, we want to put a statue of you up at Memphis, Missouri, I'd be like, man, what took you so long? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding. This is part of what Dolly said. I am honored and humbled by their intention, but I have asked the leaders of the state legislature to remove the bill from any and all consideration. Given all that is going on in the world, I don't think putting me on a pedestal is appropriate at this time. We build statues and monuments of things we want to honor and preserve. Here in Kansas City, we have lots of statues and monuments. None may be more nationally known than the Liberty Memorial, the World War I Monument and Museum. Inscribed on the monument are the words, lest we forget. We visit this monument to honor the millions of lives lost, including 9.7 military personnel, 9.7 million military personnel. We honor the sacrifice of those who fought for those who could not. And in my mind, the World War I Memorial is also a monument to the capacity we have as people to do terrible things to each other, lest we forget the lives lost and the sacrifices made. In our scripture today, we're going to see people who erect a monument, lest we forget, lest they forget the things God has done. So as we study God's word together, what I hope we'll take away is that remembering back helps us move forward with God. In this long story short series, we're looking at major events in the Bible as, as, we, as we try and understand the unified big story of God. So we're, we're looking, uh, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Those are the first and last books of the Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written across three continents by over 40 different authors over the course of centuries. It's written in multiple languages and contains multiple genres of literature, law, history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. And despite all of these different authors across generations, it makes up the unified story of God. And that story is the story of God's pursuit of people to be in right relationship with him. God promised Abraham that he would give him and his descendants land. Moses led Abraham's descendants out of slavery from Egypt 
and, and brought them to the edge of that land. And today we'll see Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. He's going to take them into the promised land of God and lead them in a victorious conquest to take possession of this land. Biblical scholar and professor Sander Richter wrote a book which I highly recommend. It's called The Epic of Eden, A Christian Entry into the Old Testament. And in it, she describes what's significant about this land that was promised called Canaan. This is what she said about the land that God promised the Israelites. Canaan is the land that will become Israel and will eventually be known as Palestine. The significance of this region does not come from its size, resources, or political history, all of which were unimpressive at best. Rather, the significance of this region comes from its strategic position. Canaan served as the only land bridge between the two great civilizations of the ancient Near East, Mesopotamia and Egypt. So the land that God wanted God's people to inhabit is smack dab in the middle of the two greatest ancient civilizations, two of the most powerful nations on the earth. Location, location, location. Now this land was hotly contested thousands of years ago and it continues to be today. So before the Israelites take possession of the land, they will need to conquer it, and that is not going to be easy. So the title of this message, and, and one of the major events in the Bible, is the conquest. God wanted the Israelites to be in a strategic position in order to witness to the rest of the world. And God didn't just give Israel a land that was vacant. To take it was going to be difficult, to say the least. It was going to be hard. So if we're waiting on confirmation of God's plan to be that something is easy, like as if ease serves as a sign that that's the path God has for us, we'll, we'll probably be disappointed many times. Forty years have passed between the Exodus, leaving Egypt, and crossing into the promised land of Canaan. The Israelites are going to have a new leader, so we will pick up in the book of the Bible named for this leader, the book of Joshua, chapter 1, starting with verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Succession is a difficult thing. Following someone who wasn't great at their job is actually preferable because you get to have a win just by not being them. Now, that has not been the case for me here at our church. That's not been my experience. Spencer was and is, continues to be, so, so good to me. He handed off a growing and vibrant church. Same with Pastor Fred before Spencer. These are not easy acts to follow. Succession is, is, can be a hard thing. When the people before you were really good, Every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live, uh, I'm leading kind of a session to go deeper, a live stream to go beyond just worship and, and dig deeper into the Bible. And I'm very pleased to tell you that both Spencer and Fred have agreed to co-host that live stream with me on different nights. So I'm really looking forward to that. So keep an eye out. Uh, so you can go beyond our time in worship and dig deeper into the scriptures by signing up and just joining in on one of our long story short small groups. You can find all the info on that on our website, carney.church. Following someone who did a good job brings its own set of challenges. Can you imagine trying to follow Moses, the Moses, 
I mean, this, this would be a monumental task, but Joshua was up for it. His first assignment, God tells Joshua that he will lead the people into the land I'm about to give them. So we keep coming back to this original promise of God, this connection to this land that God wants his people to inhabit. But in order to receive that promise, the, the Israelites have to cross the Jordan River. So we've got a little map here. And, and we understand a bit about where this is taking place because later on in Joshua, it tells us that they were near the Dead Sea. So we understand that they're kind of on the, on the southern end of the River Jordan here. Crossing the Jordan is only the first step, which again, they, they could have gone around uh, and, and not had to cross the river, but God had this path for them. Not only do they have to cross the Jordan, which is dangerous, but then they're going to cross into a land that isn't vacant. It's filled with people who like living there. I will give you every place, we read in verse three, every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I like, who wouldn't want that assurance? As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is a great story if you're rooting for the Israelites. It's probably kind of a rough story if you were a Hittite or one of the other enemy tribes. Here's a map of Joshua's conquests that are recorded in the book of Joshua and they're referenced throughout the Old Testament. So, so they, the yellow line shows where they cross the River Jordan and eventually, eventually settle at a place called Gilgal. And they extend their territory just as God predicted. All those red circles are places uh, where, where they fight and win. God offers another reassurance because for Joshua to lead these people, it still required faith in God's promises. And so God assures them, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's what God said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. This phrase occurs four times just in the first chapter of Joshua alone. Be strong and courageous. It was needed, this reminder, this assurance was needed in the face of tough circumstances, getting through the Jordan River, preparing for battle, for the conquest. And so it's important for us to remember that this first step of Joshua, his first task is, as the leader of the nation of Israel is to lead people across the Jordan because no crossing, no conquest. They had to step out in faith to begin to accept the promise God has for them. So Joshua gets to work sending out spies into the land to kind of scout things out. Joshua chapter two records the bravery of Rahab she was a hero who helped shelter and protect Israel's spies. And she's credited thousands of years later in Hebrews chapter 11 in the famous Hall of Faith. Joshua 3 shows preparations being made. Now, we're not talking about a group of 20 or 30 people trying to cross the river. We're talking about tens of thousands of Israelites. This was a huge group. And God instructs Joshua in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you, read, when you reach the edge of the Jordan River, of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So the Ark of the Covenant, that was Israel's most sacred object. You can kind of see a little scale drawing here. 
It housed the stone tablets that recorded the law and Israel's covenant with God. That's the name. It was was the place where the promises were housed, the Ark of the Covenant. It stored a couple other sacred objects like a piece of manna, which was the provision God gave people, uh, the people of Israel in the desert. It also housed Aaron's staff from time to time. It was built to the exact specifications given by God and it represented God's presence with the Israelites. So when the priest wade into the dangerous waters of the Jordan with the ark, it was a, a sign, it was a representation of God's promises going before them. That as you cross the river, God's promises go before you. What an image. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. I got through that all. Shout out to me. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So in this passage, we get a list of some of the tribes that Israel will fight against. The people also understand that this demonstration of God's power will once again allow them to pass through the waters miraculously. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. After everyone had crossed, God tells Joshua to, to take those 12 people and for them to each bring with them a stone from the center of the Jordan, from the middle of the river. This is Joshua 4, 4 through 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. They're building an altar, a monument, lest they forget. Lest they forget the great things God has done. Now, the rest of the book of Joshua records the bloody conquests of Israel taking the promised land. But none of that happens if they don't have the faith to step into the river. No crossing, no conquest. And so they built an altar so they wouldn't forget. The call to not forget what God has done is built into the rhythm of the life of Israel. And it's built into the rhythm of of practicing Judaism today. Passover is one of many high holidays where the story of God is recited and reenacted. 
the Israelites built the monument of stones at Gilgal to mark the place and occasion where God delivered on his promises and brought them into Canaan. As Christians, every time we celebrate communion, we are remembering the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Many of us might have grown up in churches where where the table said, do this in remembrance of me. That was a feature of a lot of sanctuary furniture, this call to remember. Remembering back helps us move forward with God. Sometimes we need a little encouragement when we're facing a decision of faith so we don't forget how far God has already brought us and that we can continue to place our trust in God. We need some reminders from time to time. God understood that and God understands that now. Just this last week, we got something special in the mail. This is a, uh, a Shutterfly photo book that my wife spent a long time putting together. I know it's kind of hard to see, so the cover photo is my family. I think we got a picture of that. And the front cover was taken. Uh, this was the first time my children were at church after months and months last year. This was in September, I believe. We still just are wrapping our minds around all that's happened in the months since the pandemic. So this book, Sarah put together because we wanted to preserve our memory of this crazy year. The Super Bowl win. I I had an action-packed February. Uh, This next photo is uh, my sister and her husband and Sarah and I. This is at my dad's graveside. Now, this is a good picture. It's weird to have a great picture of you taken at your father's graveside. But we wanted to preserve that. So this, this Shutterfly book records the whole year so that we can look back and remember and say, look how God was with us and look how far God brought us. There's a lot of people mourning. Folks who have lost a lot. There's a lot of people that are mourning the loss of loved ones. It's good to remember that God's promises go before us. And it's good to remember that the river that we cross and the land promised to us that we will inherit is an eternal one. Another powerful symbol for me of the faithfulness of God is our bell out in front of our church here in Kearney. I just, I just, I can't overstate how much I just hated to not gather with everyone on Christmas Eve. Now, I, I, somebody texted me and, and told me that there was a group of folks who were interested in, you know, gathering, even just in their cars, to gather at the church at midnight, Christmas Eve night or early Christmas morning. I thought, you know what, that's, that's awesome. I'd love to be at the church with other folks too. But kind of just, I don't know, about in secret or whatever, but I'll drive up and, and meet him there. Well, guess what? I was the only one who showed up. Y'all check it out. You know who you are. And so it is, this is what I did. It is 11.58 on Christmas Eve. I am here at the church. It is currently 10 degrees, but I am warned by the Christmas spirit. Now, I know what you're thinking. And before you start a rumor, only thing I've been drinking tonight is Martinelli cider, baby. Oh, yeah. So, couldn't meet at church tonight and in person. Church bell still got a ring, baby. We still got to let the people know it's Christmas time. 
Ring, ding, dong. Ring, ding, 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 dong. Let's do it. I just had to do something to lift my spirits that night. So it was me in 10 degrees, looking like a goofball, not caring who saw. And that bell is representative of so much. Our church is 152 years old. This community has seen so many challenges, and God has brought us through it all. So I invite those of you who are in person to on your way out, go ahead and ring that sucker. That's what it's there for. And let that bell be a reminder to you of God's faithfulness of all the things that that big old piece of metal has seen. If you're online, drive by sometime. Come by and ring the bell. You won't hurt it. That's what it's for. Let that bell which has stood the test of time remind you of the promises that God has made that have stood the test of time. When we remember how faithful God is to us, it helps us move forward to our next faithful step. I wonder, what can you set up in your home? What, what, what reminder can you, can you tangibly put together so that you can be reminded on a consistent basis of the faithfulness of God? I want to conclude this message by inviting you to read with me Joshua 1, verse 9. Let's read this together. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And all God's people said, Amen.